How's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a fantastic day. It is, as always, Thursday evening, and we're going through some of St. Thomas's easier works. Uh, right now, we're going through the Ten Commandments. Um, there you go. We're going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, well, St. Thomas's commentary on the Ten Commandments. But before he gets into the Ten Commandments, he goes over the law of charity, which is the summary of the Ten Commandments found uh, originally in the Old Testament, actually, and then appropriated uh, by our Lord as the two most important, uh, the two greatest commandments. So uh, before we get started, as always, um, if you enjoy the fact that I'm doing this and would like to support the project, uh, there is a Patreon just for the New Aquinas Academy, so you can go check that out. But without further ado, let's get right into uh, prayer before study. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ineffable Creator, who out of the treasures of thy wisdom hast appointed through hierarchies of angels, and set them in admirable order high above the heavens, and hast disposed the diverse portions of the universe in such marvelous array, thou art called the true source of light and supereminent principle of wisdom. Be pleased to cast a beam of thy radiance upon the darkness of my mind, and dispel for me the double darkness and sin and ignorance in which I have been born. Thou who makest eloquent the tongues of little children, fashion my words, and pour upon my lips the grace of thy benediction. Grant me penetration to understand, capacity to retain, method and facility in study, subtlety and interpretation, and abundant grace of expression. Order the beginning, direct the progress, and perfect the achievement of my work. Thou who art true God and man, and liveth and reigneth forever and ever. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Okay, so in this uh, section that we read, we just read the prologue, and then we read chapters one and two. And as a, uh, just before I forget, we'll be finishing off book one uh, for next week. So chapter three, four, five, and six. And then uh, the week after, we're going to actually start getting into the uh, Ten Commandments, each one in particular, uh, the vices opposed to uh, each commandment, and, and so on and so forth. But here we're going to be treating a, uh, a few preliminary uh, sort of discussions that we need to have on certain things like the nature of law um, and the, <laughs> the entirety of catechesis. It's really interesting. So he, he starts out uh, in a very, very interesting way. So here begins the treatise on the commandments according to Brother Thomas Aquinas and first concerning charity. So he's going to justify uh, what he's talking about. And this is going to provide uh, really the foundation for Catholic catechesis, even into our uh, into our catechism today. Our catechism today is based on the same sort of uh, outline that St. Thomas is talking about uh, 700 years ago. So the first is taught in the creed where knowledge of the articles of faith is given. Oh, wait, three things are necessary for man to be saved, namely knowledge of what is to be believed, knowledge of what is to be desired and knowledge of what is to be done. So you got to know what to believe. You got to know what to hope for, and you got to know what to love or how to love. So these three virtues of faith, hope, and charity are going to have corresponding uh, sections of catechesis. So this is kind of the logic for why um, I've actually set up the readings of St. Thomas. Like I have set up the readings of St. Thomas. Uh, I was purposefully uh, making sure I hit each one of these areas at a um, really introductory stage, which is what this is. And also the more intermediate stage, and then finally at the um, at a more advanced stage, uh, while still within the level of those who do not have experience 
uh, in St. Thomas's works. So when it comes to the knowledge of what is to be believed, this is taught in the Articles of the Faith. So uh, we can, if we want to um, give this a certain name of theology for a certain uh, part of theology, this would be um, what's broadly referred to as dogmatic theology. Dogmatic theology goes by many different names um, because dogmatic theology could also mean um, theology that focuses on the sources rather than uh, explanation. But really, um, dogmatic theology is just theology about what we need to believe. And then second, about what we need to hope for, this is uh, taught in the Lord's Prayer. Because prayer is going to be the, um, going to be that whereby we um, express what we hope for, that whereby uh, is the chief instrument, uh, wherein we uh, are led to what we hope for. So when discussing hope, we discuss the nature of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's what we discussed. And if you want to look at the theological discipline that's going to cover this, uh, we can think of uh, mystical theology, for example. And then third is in the law. In the law. So this is what is to be done. This uh, corresponds to charity. So what is to be done, if you want to think about the uh, way in which this is a theological discipline, we can think of moral theology. So when it comes to dogmatic theology, uh, mystical theology and moral theology, they all three of those uh, come together into a really a coherent whole. Uh, when we think of theology, we don't think of uh, what are called specifically distinct sciences. We think about uh, what are called integral parts. So each one of these uh, go together and are dependent on one another. So that's why uh, St. Thomas, for example, when he has his summa, he doesn't make a summa for what is to be believed and then a summa for what is to be done. No, St. Thomas's summa in the uh, first part, there's the discussion of God and creatures as proceeding from God. And then in the second part, uh, prima secundae and secunda secundae, are treated those things to be done, uh, which culminates, um, I want to say, in uh, secunda secundae 184 to, to the end, 184 to 189. Uh, culminates in a discussion really of mystical theology. Uh, that's what the discussion of St. Thomas culminates in. And then uh, we we go in Tertiopars, obviously, to discuss uh, Christology, uh, sacramentology, and then eschatology. But uh, what I mean to illustrate uh, there is that you can't even discuss really dogmatic theology in this uh, chopped up way. Uh, because they're reliant on each other. Um, because charity <clears throat> is the perfection of faith. I'm sure you've heard before, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is a law of belief. But really, um, we have to keep together the law of belief, the law of prayer, and then also the law of action, or the law of moral obligation. They all uh, mutually illumine one another. They all um, uh, really moral action and mystical theology prepare us. Well, Really, moral uh, moral theology is that which prepares us to study dogmatic theology, which ought to culminate in mystical theology. The mystical theology uh, informs our moral action and then also is able to uh, illuminate the principles of our belief. So all, all of these parts, what I'm trying to illustrate for you is all of these parts of catechesis is everything from uh, 
what we say every Sunday, the uh, the creed, which is the Nicene Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and then um, in some some uh, capacity also we think about um, the law, uh, especially in the sacrament of penance. But that which we go through every single week is really um, the foundation for all of theology. And theology never really departs from what is already virtually contained in there. All of theology is virtually contained in the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and then the um, the Law of Charity. Everything is contained right in there, and it's only uh, we're only working out all of the uh, all of the conclusions that that come downstream from the Creed, Lord's Prayer, and the Law. So, uh, mm-hmm. continuing on, so specifically uh, here when we talk about the Law of Charity and then the Ten Commandments. We're specifically discussing, obviously, the law. We're just specifically discussing uh, the virtue of charity. That's what we're talking about here. So uh, when we think about the law, there's uh, four different types of law, uh, really. And he goes over the law of nature. So the law of nature is basically our conscience, that's that's uh that's what he means here. Is he means our conscience. So law of nature is that sort of um, proximate or near us rule of action that we all have. We all have um, this law of nature implanted in us, which is able to direct us uh, to good or uh, to it. Well, it directs us. It commands the good, uh, but sometimes we choose against um, one's conscience. And then we also have. Uh, after the law of nature, that is conscience, we have the law of concupiscence. The law of concupiscence. So the law of concupiscence is going to corrupt the law of nature in the order of reason. So after the fall of Adam, there's some sort of corrupting uh, within our various faculties. So our uh, sensual, uh, our sensitive faculties overcame our reason. So there's a certain corruption which goes on in the law of concupiscence. So in order to repair that fall from uh, the law of nature to, uh, to the law of concupiscence, we have the law of scripture. So the law of scripture uh, repairs the damage which is done by concupiscence. This happens in two different ways, according to St. Thomas. So there's two different, uh, when he's considering the ways in which we are impelled to certain moral acts, there's two different ways uh, this can be done. Uh, if you ever read Machiavelli, uh, these are going to sound familiar. But the first is uh, fear. You can uh, very strongly impel somebody to do something through fear. Uh, a, a lot of times people will uh, just act mindlessly out of certain fears, whether rational or irrational. And uh, that corresponds to uh, broadly the law of Moses. The law of Moses um, was one that impelled by way of fear. And the second uh, way in which you can compel somebody to do something, or not really compel, but encourage them to do something, would be by love. You can compel somebody by love. And while, of course, this isn't absent in the law of Moses, in the law of Moses, there were uh, various different exhortations by way of love. St. Thomas talks about this in, uh, let me think, his Romans commentary, chapter three, maybe. So he talks about this in another place that, uh, yes, we're merely talking about emphasis. We're not talking about exclusiveness. 
But when it comes to um, the law of Christ, the law of Christ mainly is going to uh, encourage us to moral acts by love, not merely uh, by uh, fear. Well, also, yes, fear uh, is included. Um, it's a fear which is perfected. Um, he actually, I think, does he go over this here? I think he does go over this here. But uh, he goes over the fact that our our fear, the uh, so-called spirit of fear, uh, that is uh, the gift of fear, I guess, that is promised to us um, in the book of Isaiah, really is promised to the Messiah, and then uh, through virtue of him given to us. This fear is perfected. It's not a fear that is servile, the fear of a slave to his master, but the fear of a son to his father. It is a filial fear, a fear that uh, doesn't fear punishment because it's, uh, it has hope in the one um, in whom he places hope, but rather fear separation uh, from the beloved. So this, the fear in the new law is really purified, although it's still, uh, it's still there, but it's purified. So um, the law of fear made us slaves, but um, uh, made us slaves. Uh, sorry, I need to plug in my computer real quick. But yeah, the um, law of fear has to do with uh, a certain slavery to obedience. So it wasn't something which is voluntary. A slave obeys um uh, his master, uh, not because out of love, uh, but out of a certain duty or obligation. But when it comes to the law of the new covenant, it's something which is cheerfully done. Again, the sort of image of the filial uh, obedience or filial piety that's given rather than something which is uh, merely servile. So that's his uh, sort of taxonomy of how uh, the law uh, interacts over time. So we have law of nature, law of concupiscence, law of Moses, and then law of, of Christ. So uh, continuing now, I'm just going to keep the text discussion open. <laughs> yeah, Ten Commandments is right now, and then introduction to uh, Dera Valacione is going to be later. So we're actually directly after this at 8 o'clock. Uh, Ethan and I are going to be going live for that, so it's fun. Okay, so uh, the two chapters we covered were the effect of charity and then the utility of charity. So um, the reason why uh, we have this sort of law of charity, because... What you see in the Old Covenant, uh, this is something that he mentions right here, is in the Old Covenant, uh, where you have the Law of Moses, you have a lot of commands. <laughs> you, uh, you you have a bunch of different stuff that's uh, told them to. I think it's what, uh, how, many, how many commands are in the uh, so-called Torah? I think it's 613. Uh, let me see. How many in the Torah? 613. Yeah, 613. So there were 613 different uh, laws, which you had to uh, remember how to do in the Old Covenant. So uh, St. Thomas actually uh, argues in a very similar way for when it comes to uh, 
the necessity of revelation for natural religious truths. Basically, uh, you, you're not going to have the, your normal average person memorize 613 different laws. Uh, sorry, it ain't happening. And, and even then, they're not going to be obeying these 613 laws with uh, equal fervor as they would um, a single law. So Christ, uh, when he came, uh, took from these laws and was able to uh, find a law which was the greatest, which is uh, the law of charity. Well, really the two greatest, uh, love of God and love of neighbor. But what is uh, what I'm saying is that he abridged the entirety of the law into the law of charity. That's what he did. And all we do when we look throughout uh, moral theology, because moral theology isn't bad, um, it's actually good to study all of these different cases to see how charity applies to um, applies to each one of this or that uh, case. It's good to find out these things, how we can specify our wills to goodness. But um, if we want to reduce all them to one thing, it's it's to charity. So. He says, uh, but it is clear that not all can sweat away to gain knowledge. Because, you know, um, you're going to have some people who are able to uh, dive into uh, studying moral theology, uh, but that's not going to be everybody. So we actually have a very abridged um, form, which is going to relate all back to a singular, uh, single principle. Therefore, Christ gave an abridged law, which all can know. and No one can be excused from observing it because of ignorance. And this is the law of divine love. But it should be realized that this love must be the rule of all human acts. We see that manufactured goods are good and right when they measure up to the standard. So also any human work is right and virtuous when it harmonizes with the standard of divine love. And when it is out of tune with this standard, it is not good or right or perfect. For human acts uh, to be good, they must harmonize with the standard of divine law. So this is uh, basically um, this is basically uh, the summary of Saint Thomas uh, when it comes to uh, what designates uh, good human acts. So all of the rest of this is just going to be determining uh, what what is uh, the various ways in which uh, our acts fit in with the law of charity. Because a lot of a lot of people get it uh, get it kind of twisted. We're not opposing law to charity. It's not what we're doing. Rather, uh, charity itself is a virtue, and uh, it's a virtue uh, which hears in the will and perfects the will uh, towards God. So, uh, what we're doing when we look at law is law is going to specifically not talk about um, the virtue itself. It's going to talk about the acts which are going to flow uh, from that virtue. So um, they're not opposed uh, to one another. Rather, the the laws are really uh, going to be a discussion of how the virtue is going to play out in real life, so to speak. So um, he goes on uh, for the rest of this now that he has uh, talked about basically um, what charity is. He's going to look at the effect and the utility of it. So uh, he's going to lay out four different effects. 
So the first is it's going to cause spiritual life, spiritual life. So uh, he has this principle. It's very interesting. It's going to be, it is clear that what is loved is inside the lover. Therefore, whoever loves God has him inside himself. And then it is also the nature of love that is transformed. It transforms the lover into the loved. But if we love God, we become divine. So what he's saying here is basically that when you love something, you become like it. When you love something, you become like it. This is something self-evident. You see this throughout the Old Testament. You see this through Israel um, when they go astray from God and when they love idols, the prophets actually mock. They mock them. They say, you uh, are going to worship all of these idols. You're going to worship um, certain blind, deaf, and dumb uh, blocks of wood. Well, you're going to become just like them. You're going to become stupid. You're going to become deaf. You're going to become dumb. You're going to, you're going to become just like them uh, because you become like what you love. So when it comes to charity, charity in directing us towards God as revealed through our Lord Jesus Christ is going to make us like God as revealed through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're going to become divinized. We're going to become divine. We're going to become like God. When we love God, we're going to become like God. And further, since God is the life of the soul, and God is uh, life himself. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Because of that, when we love God, we are going to be said to be truly living. There's very interesting principles that St. Thomas is invoking here. If you think about it, uh, this, is, this is actually pretty obvious in our day-to-day -day life. Is you have people... Uh, Maybe some some more unstable friends, maybe yourself. It's probably better to think of yourself than uh, your friends. But when you begin to love uh, certain uh, things inordinately, you become like it. You you almost you, you actually do change a lot as a person when you begin to love the wrong things. So when you love the things of God, not uh, inordinately. So not for any reason of yourself or any reason merely of its, uh, of its aesthetics or uh, maybe of the certain uh, community you may get. It's not the reason to love it. But if you love our Lord Jesus Christ for his own sake, you'll become like him. And this is why the meditating on the gospel is so important. Again, I told you about it last week. That's another reason why meditating on the gospel is so important. Because that's where you find out how Jesus Christ is, and then from finding out how Jesus Christ is, that's how you find out uh, how um, the divinity is. Because Jesus Christ has revealed the Father unto us. So in contemplating the life of Christ, and also the life of Christ revealed through the saints as well, which is why the Vita literature is also really important. But in finding out uh, the so-called personality or uh, I guess a better way of putting it is like the spiritual personality of Christ. Through meditating on that and through coming to love that, you'll become like him. That's why meditating on the gospel is so, so important. It's so important. Can't be un uh, underestimated for sure. Can't be overestimated. Sorry. And that is clear because we say that the body lives to the soul when it performs living, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay. 
So that is our uh, our first one. Oh, this is uh, this is fun. Um, I actually really like this uh, side comment he made. It should be noted, however, that anyone who has all the gifts of the Holy Spirit apart from love does not have life. Whether it is the gift of tongues or the gift of faith or any other, without charity, they do not have life. For if a dead body is dressed in gold and precious stones, it nevertheless remains dead. And I actually, uh, I was actually thinking about this. It's very interesting um, type of connections uh, I was able to, to make just by thinking about this short little reflection, uh, really side comment from St. Thomas. This makes sense. I mean, I'm sure you know, um, maybe you have, again, don't think of your friends. Maybe you have friends who are in a relationship like this, um, romantic or otherwise, or maybe um, you know certain adults in your life who, who, have a, who have a marriage like this. But it's basically the dead body dressed in gold and precious stones. You have a uh, something which is full of externals. You may uh, you may have this family who who eats every night. They may uh, eat eats together every night. They may um, give each other gifts. It, it, they they may just have the outward appearance of having a very loving relationship. But when they don't have that internal charity, and that internal charity that is not for the sake of the other, but is for the sake of God, which is the most perfect charity. When they don't have that, and when you don't have that with another person, but rather uh, your reason for uh, for loving them is either absence, you don't love them, or is something which is uh, for even their own sake rather than God's own sake. It's going to be something which is going to be a dead body. It's going to be a skeleton. It's going to be uh, dressed in gold and precious stones. It's going to look nice, but it's going to be really dead inside. Our Lord calls it uh, whitewashed tombs. You know, if you have uh, if you have uh, these these tombstones, I remember my grandfather uh, when when we were younger, he used to take us up to Gettysburg because my ancestral home is actually near Gettysburg. So we had a lot of ancestors die uh, in Gettysburg, but. Uh, besides the fact there was a graveyard nearby where I had one of my ancestors uh, buried there. So my grandfather cleaned uh, the, the tombstone uh, off so it would be nice and shiny and white. But it was whitewashed. It looked really nice. But it was still as dead inside uh, in, in the tomb, in the, uh, in the casket below. It was still dead inside as it ever was before. And that's that's really what anything besides charity, any sort of attachment uh, besides uh, God does. Even if it's an attachment to good things, uh, which we're going to get uh, into when we read on the on the perfection of the spiritual life, it should be absolutely dead. So we need charity rather than uh, any sort of ecstatic. Uh, Ex, uh, I can never pronounce it. Any sort of uh, ecstasy uh, in in one's uh, experience uh, with God, any sort of um, really uh, whatever edits you can make, whatever um, really personality affirming uh, Catholic traits, because that's unfortunately a, a very big uh, vice that a lot of suffer with, and even your studying. Because I know a lot of you, and a lot of you listening, this is going to apply to you. You treat apologetics somehow as uh, as your spirituality. You treat polemical battles as uh, 
as your sort of um, moments of uh, the adoration of God. But that's, that's not why you do it. I know that's not why you do it. I've spoken with some of you, and I know that's why uh, that's not why you do it. You confess to me in secret that's not why you do it. That's why do you keep doing it. You're really uh, just a rotting uh, corpse in your spiritual life, and, and, you're, and you're taking this corpse, and you're, you're wasting your time doing, doing this apologetics or that apologetics. But really, you are just a bloated, stinking corpse, and you're putting uh, on the outside of this corpse makeup and, and, and nice clothes. But no, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not where it lies, or even uh, for some of you, it may be um, certain really Catholic-affirming uh, personality traits that a lot of you follow, uh, what, whatever, whatever it may be. Maybe the, maybe the memes, which I enjoy the memes. There's nothing wrong with the memes. There's nothing wrong with apologetics either. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I know a lot of the, a lot of the women, uh, suffer from this a lot more, but it may be the, the pretty mantillas or the rosaries, but, uh, St. John of the cross makes a wonderful comment, uh, when it comes to this, he says that it's actually better for you to just have, uh, rather than, um, your expensive trinkets that you come around with, just get a piece of string and tie some stones together, uh, for a rosary. That would be better for you because you have so much attachment to all of these different things. And all of these different things is just dressing up the dead and bloated body um, of your soul lacking charity with all of these gold and precious stones. So you need to think about that. You need to think about that. Is where, where do you place your love? Where do you have attachments? Maybe attachments to a lot of different things. A lot of us want to uh, point to attachments to, uh, I don't know, uh, sex or to uh, food, whatever it may be. But actually, uh, Satan is a lot, is a lot uh, more subtle than that. Well, of course, he's able to capture a lot with, with the more obvious traits. But sometimes, sometimes your attachments are going to be to things which you yourself think are pious. A lot of you, uh, for example, when you when you get rebuked uh, for your uh, behavior surrounding uh, apologetics while being very uh, immature in, in your study of the faith or um, in the spiritual life or uh, even in uh, very grave personal moral uh, defects, you're going to say, well, I want to do this. I want to I want to defend the faith. You think it's noble. I think it's very noble. That's, of course, what. Uh, what Satan is going to whisper in your ears, that, that it's something which is noble. You're going to think every one of your attachments are noble. But anything that is not an attachment to God hinders your spiritual life. And anything else is going to be um, the dressing of a corpse. That's what it's going to be. So you have to be very, very, very careful. But continuing, so the second effect of charity is it's going to uh, bring about the observance of the divine commandments. Gregory says that love of God is never lazy. Think about it. Uh, when in, in your personal life, when you love somebody and you do stuff for them, is it something which is going to be cold? Is it something which is going to be lazy? If you really love uh, somebody, let's say uh, you, I don't know, um, buy something for your mother, your beloved mother. 
if I bought something for my mother and I, or, or I made something for my mother, uh, let's say I made dinner for my mother, I wouldn't, uh, or, or actually a better example, uh, my father, when I, uh, go up to visit my father, he occasionally has stuff for me to do. Would it be, uh, would it be loving for me to, uh, be lazy when it comes to that, to not be prompt when it comes to that. Of course not. I wouldn't be loving because love impels you to work for the beloved. Not uh, not merely out of obligation, not merely on a technicality, but because that's what you want to do. And you want to do it because the end of your will is placed in the goodness of the beloved. That's why you want to do it. So again, those attachments play into this as well. All of those attachments you have are going to play into this. Is love is going to have the effect of burning away those attachments. So when, uh, for example, uh, let's let's just say, uh, let's just pretend you feel a vocation to the priesthood. Let's let's just say that's that's the case. And of course, I'm, I'm speaking about this very loosely uh, because this isn't how it works. But if you have a vocation to the priesthood, actually, actually, I'll give a personal example. I'll give a personal example uh, because those are always um, better. But when I was converting to the Catholic faith, I, uh, I was a seminarian. I was an ordinant in the Anglican Church. So when I became a Catholic, uh, I, I obviously had to have that conversation uh, with the ordinariate, since I was um, an Anglican who was converting, so I was under the ordinariate, I had to have the conversation about uh, where my vocation was at uh, within the Anglican Church. Would I be able to uh, transfer over as a seminarian and continue my studies? Would I not be able to? And I wasn't able to. So right then and there, there was the choice all right before me. There was the choice. Surely, surely it wasn't too late. Uh, I call. I had called the date after that I decided to uh, join the church. Surely it wasn't too late. I'd barely told anyone. I'm sure I could come up with an excuse for why I could get out of this. Now that I now that I knew that uh, something that I really really was attached to, definitely inordinately, I was 100% inordinately attached to the idea of a vocation because I was married at the time. Now there was something that was getting completely wiped away from that I had put an inordinate love on. I could have, I could have just stepped back at that time and said, well, actually, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. I think I'm going to go back to uh, being an Anglican. I think I'm going to stay in the Anglican church and continue to cope. I think that's what I'm going to do. No, but that's not, that's not what love does. Just because things are difficult, just because there's obstacles in the way, love chooses even when there are those obstacles to promptly obey what is the order of the beloved. This is what led the martyrs uh, to their death because they understood that they understood the law of charity. Really? They had charity uh, residing in them. So they did what they did on account of the beloved and they didn't flinch. You have young, uh, you have young women and young men, the early church who were martyred in the most brutal ways. Why? Because they were strengthened against every other attachment, even the attachment of their own lives. They were strengthened 
by divine charity to renounce all of those attachments. You're called to the same thing. You're called to renounce all of your own attachments, even the attachment that you have to your own life. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ means when he talks about um, when he talks about hating a mother and father and brother and sister and wife and child. This, this is what he means is that you ought to be so detached from even the closest members of your family, so detached that it is as if you hated them. And he concludes uh, even your own life. So that is that is as universal as a call to detachment as you can get. So this is what uh, this is what charity is going to affect in us. The third, it's a uh, bulwark against uh, adversity. For adversity hurts someone. Uh, for no adversity hurts someone who has charity. It is all converted to good use. Uh, this is um, even averse and difficult things seem easy to a lover, as we see clearly from observation. How many? Uh, how many stupid? Uh, because of course this is a disordered uh, love that's happening in uh, in most of the people you're thinking of. But how many like crazily stupid things have you seen somebody uh, do because they uh, have certain passions towards somebody? Now, how much more uh, ought we to go against any sort of adversity uh, when it comes to the pure and spiritual love that we have? Not merely a sensual love like the you have you have these people doing crazy things for for their sensual uh, passions that they have. Now, you, oh, Christian who have the pure love, the participation of the divine love residing in your soul, you can overcome much more and much greater tribulations than all of, uh, all of these people out here who are overcoming on account of their, uh, of their passions. You can, you can do a lot better. You can do a lot better. You should be doing well. You should be doing a lot better, actually. You can. You can. Any, any, every single one of you listening right now, you can become a saint. It's very important. The consideration of what charity is and how charity affects us is super important uh, when it comes to this. And the fourth effect, the most blessed effect of charity, the best effect of charity, is that it leads uh, to happiness. It leads to happiness. Because charity... And, and this is actually why uh, on uh, you, you get this sort of aridity that's described in the spiritual writers. You get an aridity described. Why do you get an aridity described if charity is supposed to lead to happiness? Isn't charity uh, supposed to uh, make me super happy on earth? Why, why am I so sad? Why, why do I feel so dry in my, in my spiritual life? Well, charity in bringing about the detachment from everything that we've been talking about thus far is going to uh, have an attachment from all central pleasures. You're not going to have uh, enjoyment in the things that you used to have enjoyment from because you realize their littleness. You begin to realize you, you, you come into this realization that everything on this earth, every single uh, sensual or, or uh, spiritual uh, enjoyment that you have, even your consolations in prayer, Everything, every little last thing 
pales in comparison to the end uh, to which uh, grace flowers into in glory. So in comparison to that infinite beatific joy that you're going to have, everything seems very arid. And this isn't an argument against the eternal happiness that's waiting for you. It's actually an argument for the eternal happiness that's waiting for you. That these various things that carnal men are able to take pleasure in and enjoy, these don't satisfy you. Do they not satisfy you because there's no enjoyment? No. They don't satisfy you because you're led to a higher enjoyment. And that enjoyment, you know, will come after your death. So the Christian looks towards their death uh, with excitement. Uh, Pope Francis has a wonderful quote about this. Is that for everybody else in the world, life is the beginning and death is the end. But for the Catholic, death is really the beginning. Uh, there, there's, there's a, um, a compline uh, hymn that uses a, a quote from the psalm. It's in, in vita, uh, in me, it's in media vita. Uh, I think it's media vita. Ah, I can't remember. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look it up. In media, uh, media vita. Mortusum, I think. Sumus, mortusums. In media. Ah. No, morte, morte sumus. So in the midst of life, we're as if uh, we're dead, basically. So in, in our life, uh, death itself becomes the beginning of eternal life. So really, we are as walking corpses right now for all intents and purposes. And everybody around us does not recognize that we're just walking corpses. That's who we are because of what has been prepared for us. So you're looking at it the wrong way. Most of you are looking at it the wrong way. You're kind of hedging your bets right now. But the Catholic can't hedge their bets. From what we know, there is no hedging of bets that we have uh, to any sort of enjoyment, any sort of attachment. There's no hedging bets. There's only the beatific joy, which is our final end. That's all. That's it. Nothing else. There's nothing else for us. So finally, uh, he goes into the utility of charity. So how uh, charity is going to affect us. And he says uh, there's four effects, but he lists five. Uh, this, is, this is really interesting. So the first of these, the remission of sins. Uh, obviously, charity is going to drive out uh, sin. Because if somebody offends another and later loves him immediately, the offended lets go the offense against him because of love. Another effect of charity is it causes illumination of the heart. For we often do not know what to do or desire, but charity teaches us everything necessary for salvation. So with charity, we're going to know what to do. We're going to know what to do. Or really, uh, we're going to love what to do, I guess, is a better way of putting it. Because to know what to do would be prudence. Another effect is it produces perfect joy in man or joy and peace. For no one really has joy without being in charity. For anyone who desires something is not joyful or satisfied until he gets it. In temporal things, something not possessed can be desired. 
But when possessed, it becomes despised and causes boredom. You ever notice this? It's actually like St. Thomas. He's teaching He's teaching laymen here. So he's, he's uh, being very uh, interesting. You don't see the side of the angelic doctor much. What he's getting at here, everything you have. This is why I say that like it's um, a lot of people, they just they just ask me like, oh, if you ever were not Catholic, like what would you choose second place? There's no second place for me. There is no second place for me because the reason there is no second place for me is because if Catholic faith is wrong, then it's over. It's all over. Because the Catholic faith is wrong. There's no supernatural religion. Because the, the motives of credibility obviously lead to, the, lead to the Catholic faith. When it's over, well, when the Catholic faith is wrong, according to this, there's only temporal things to be possessed and desired. And when, when you possess these temporal things, you have to give or notice this. When you possess them, uh, it, it almost causes us to just despise them and become bored with them as soon as we possess them. Everything's so fleeting. There's no lasting enjoyment. There's none. There's none that you get. So if the Catholic faith is wrong, it's over. It's literally over. There's no reason to have any, any joy, any peace. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's over. Because really, all there is is just an existence of despising all things and being bored. And really, uh, you, you might as well just be an animal at that point. There's nothing to life. There's nothing to it. Uh, another effect is perfect peace. And then uh, the last effect is going to be man's uh, to give man great dignity. Uh, in our serving of Christ. This is where he distinguishes. Oh, it wasn't in the Romans commentary I was thinking of. It's right here. So he distinguishes right here uh, between the proper fear and the improper fear uh, of God. Okay, so I have to go in like two minutes because I got to prepare for... Uh, okay. Got to prepare for the stream with Ethan. Actually, he just texted me and he said 8.15. So if you have any questions, you can ask me. Uh, if not, I will uh, shut it off. It looks like, wow, I guess I explained everything perfectly. Dang, guys. Who knew? Okay. If that's all, then uh, I'm going to check. Okay, looks like it's all. So thank you all for... Uh, oh, wait. I see somebody typing. Never mind. It might not be all. Thanks. Great. Okay. Well, you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, thank you for listening to my uh, schizo posting there for the last 45 minutes. Remember... Uh, every single one of you can become a saint and remember to love God. Okay, I will see you guys next week. Goodbye.